Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to Grace. If this is your first time, we've been going through a series called Thriving Under Pressure. And uh, if you're wondering what the AstroTurf and the baseball diamond is all about, um, you really want to go. You can catch up online uh, through our podcast, or you can uh, go for free on our website and, and watch the videos of this series. But basically, we've been talking about how through the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, um, there, there are these, these steps we can take to, to connect with God and grow in our faith. And so they're kind of represented by the different bases that we can, we can run. So we've kind of been taking this baseball theme and going with it. Um, I'm not going to get into baseball today today because I'm bitter that the Nats didn't make the World Series, so we're not going to talk baseball today. Um, but I, I do uh, have a story for you to, to, to start out. So um, on September the 7th, 2012, on the west side of New York City, uh, there were two men who were out on the street, and they were watching as the restaurants were closing and the bars were letting out and people were streaming out into the streets and heading home. And these two men were actually, um, they, were, they were looking for somebody specific. They were looking actually for somebody who was alone, somebody who uh, appeared to be a little bit weak, maybe someone who was a little older, um, someone who was, um, maybe had a little too much to drink. Because basically what these guys did, uh, how they made their living, was, um, was mugging people. So as these two guys were out and the crowd started to thin out, they, they spotted a guy, and it's actually this guy on the left here. Uh, they spotted a guy who was just, had just walked past an ATM machine, might have left an ATM, and uh, was walking. And he, this guy is about 5'10", appeared to be somewhere around 160, 170 pounds. And these two guys were intrigued because he either appeared lost um, or he was drunk because he kept stopping to check his phone and, and just kind of looked a little bit discombobulated. And so they decided that, that he would be a good target for them. And so they, they followed him for several blocks. And then finally, he turned down one street that had absolutely nobody on it. And, uh, and so they, they, they caught up to him, these two guys did, and they approached him and they said, hey, um, do you have a cigarette? And this guy, he said, no, I don't have a cigarette, I'm sorry. They got closer to him, right up to him, and they said, no, no, we know you have a cigarette. Give us a cigarette. And he said, guys, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't have a cigarette. At which point, they were on either side of him, and they both grabbed him and uh, started to try and overpower him. And one of the guys actually started to reach into his pocket to take his wallet. And this is where things turned really tragic, but not... For this guy on the left was actually for the other two guys because you see the guy that they grabbed his name is Henzo Gracie some of you are familiar with that name because you like the ultimate fighting championship um, and you're aware that Henzo Gracie is one of the greats of the sport he is a sixth degree um, black belt in jiu-jitsu and um, so he loves mixed martial arts and this is what he has done his entire Life, yeah. So, so they found this five foot ten, 170 pound Henzo Gracie, and they decided that he was the guy that they were going to mug. Well, as soon as he was grabbed, he instantly turned to one side and with a flash left right combination dropped mugger number one literally on the ground. Well, now mugger number two looked like he'd been shot out of a cannon. 
He ran so fast and so hard in the opposite direction, and Gracie was still making sure that he taught a good lesson to mugger number one, and so by the time he kind of turned for the other guy, that guy was gone. Well, unfortunately for mugger number two, Gracie uh, was not satisfied with just teaching one of them a lesson, so he proceeded to get into his car and for the next hour circle around, and basically the whole time was tracking where mugger number one is. He figured mugger number two was eventually going to come back and check on his buddy. So when mugger number two came back, Gracie jumped out from behind something and um, wanted to make sure that mugger number two uh, had, had a little reminder of the evening the next morning. And so he gave him what, what, I, what he termed in his words, Gracie's words, raccoon eyes, like a little double, little double black eye shot, and then proceeded to choke him out, which I don't get that term. I'm not into the UFC and all that stuff, but many of you know what that means. So I guess he choked the guy out and then he got to wake up later and, and discover how good he looked. So here, here's the deal. I'm actually not really into violence. I, I, no offense to those of you who love the sport, I, I, I can't watch it. I just, it just kind of turns my stomach. But there's something absolutely beautiful about that story. It's an absolutely true story. And um, what I love about it is that justice was served. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these guys got what was coming to them. And there's just... It's poetic. It's, it's just one of those stories like, ha, ah, you know, I wish I could tell you that they never, you know, mugged anyone ever again. I don't know. But, uh, but they sure remembered that night when they got a hold of the wrong person. Well, uh, as I said just a few minutes ago, we are in a, in a series looking at the story of a man named Joseph. And no, this is not Joseph of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus that we read about in the New Testament, but this is the story of Joseph, whose, whose father was Jacob. Uh, this is the, the story of Joseph in the, the last um, quarter of Genesis, Genesis 37, going all the way to Genesis chapter 50. And um, we're gonna, we're, we've been talking about Joseph for a number of weeks, but this is the part of the story where it's just, it's a beautiful, almost poetic ending to what happens in this chapter of Joseph's life. Because in case you haven't been tracking, or maybe you have, but I'll just catch you up on, on who Joseph is. So this is Joseph of like Joseph in the, in the Technicolor dream coat. You know what I'm saying? This is like he had, he was the favorite brother, I mean the favorite son rather. Um, and so his dad spoiled him and, and loved him more than anybody else. And so as a result, he was completely hated by his brothers who were, got so enraged that they actually threw him down a cistern in an attempt to kill him. And then when that didn't kill him, they decided let's prolong his agony and let's not just kill him, but let's sell him into slavery in Egypt. And he will kind of live a miserable existence away from us. And so just, I mean, just terrible circumstances for Joseph. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering. He ends up going to Egypt. Egypt and, and ends up doing okay in the beginning, but then finds himself in jail. He's been falsely accused. But then everything turns, and we talked about this recently, on the fact that God gave Joseph the gift to interpret dreams. And so as a result of this, he finds himself actually in front of King Pharaoh of Egypt, interpreting this dream, and then helps King Pharaoh realize there's going to be a famine in the land. And so they better start storing up their food now, or it's going to be a really, really bad deal. As a result of this, Joseph gets appointed to prime minister of all of Egypt, the number two person basically in charge of the whole country and the food program. And so... 
Now he's, he's, he's kind of been down in the, in the prison, and now he's up as the prime minister, and God's hand has really been at work in Joseph's life. Well, the famine hits, and people start running out of food, and it gets so bad that neighboring countries start to come. They, they're sending people, and representatives um, are coming to basically come to Egypt because they've heard Egypt has this surplus of food they've been storing, and so people start coming and approaching Joseph. Hey, could we, could we buy some of this food? Could we get some food? Our people are starving. Well, one day, Joseph is there, and there's some people who come up, and they don't recognize him but he sure does recognize them because it's his very own brothers who had sold him into slavery. Of course, they wouldn't recognize him. He speaks Egyptian now, speaking through an interpreter. And I mean, how the heck would he be the prime minister of all of Egypt, right? Many years have passed. And so that he sees them, they they don't recognize that it's him. And uh, they basically are like, look, we're desperate for some food. And they kind of explain what's going on. And we're actually going to talk more about this part of the story next week. But let me just say for this week, Joseph puts his brothers through the ringer. I mean, he absolutely messes with them. He does help them out, but he messes with them. They, they are completely scared. Um, and and um, it gets to the point where they actually are pleading with Joseph. They're pleading with him, okay? So he's leveraged his power and his position and his authority. And, and they're basically like begging him, please, 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 please. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Genesis chapter 45 so they've been pleading with him, please, Joseph, please. Or they don't know it's Joseph, so they're just, they're just crying out. Genesis 45, starting in verse 1, select verses through uh, 15. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. Okay, Because remember, he's got servants, bodyguards, all these different people, as well as his brothers in the room. And so it says he could no longer control himself, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. You could just imagine what that moment would have been like for them. He says, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Remember, they tried to kill him. They had sold him into slavery to basically give him a life of torment. So what do they think is probably coming at this moment? Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. It's like he hadn't even sunk in. He says it again. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Now check this out. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So basically, he's like, look, I know you did all this and you had all these terrible intentions, but God actually used all this that you intended for bad. God used it all for good. There's a bigger story that's going on here. Then he says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, that would mean all of his brothers that were there, and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all that you have. Joseph says to them, he says, I will provide for you. 
and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Now, just like this Henzo Gracie thing that we just talked about, this is such a great story here. Because here is Joseph, tremendous pain and suffering. I mean, his brothers just put him through it. And what, what does Joseph get to do? He gets to stick it to them. He gets to make them sweat. He gets to teach them a lesson. Don't we all want to do that? Don't you wish that that person who, who wronged you, you were ever in a position where, where you could just stick it to him? I'm not saying it's right what he does, okay? But man, he, he sticks it to him. But then here's the coolest part for Joseph. He actually gets to teach him a lesson and then he gets to forgive them. He gets to provide for them. He reconciles with them. So not only does he get to exact that little revenge and justice, but then he comes out looking like the hero, like, like the good guy. This is, this is just a beautiful story. Now, here's what enables Joseph to do this. Joseph has been through tremendous pain and suffering, but he's come through the other side, hasn't he? And he even says there, you know, hey, God has, God has seen me through this. He's seen God's hand at work in his life. You know, he, here's the thing. It's actually, I'm not saying we would, we, any of us would choose to have this sort of a Joseph experience, okay? But when you've come through the other side and it's so clear, oh my goodness, God has redeemed this, God has used this, I'm playing this amazing role. When you've seen all that take place, it's a heck of a lot easier than to get over your pain and make peace with the pain and the suffering, isn't it? Like when you look back on a job that you lost and you just thought it was so amazing, you know, or a relationship that you had and it was going great and then all of a sudden something terrible happened, you know, whatever that thing is, right, that, that traumatic thing that happens and at the time there's just no good in it, there's no nothing, you can't see God anywhere in it. But then what happens when a little time goes by and then you meet the person, you know, that's the the ideal relationship for you. And and that ends up being the person you're supposed to be with. Or then all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's why I lost this job or that's why this got taken away from me because it was to make room. This must be God, you know, giving me this other opportunity. We've all had those moments looking back in the rearview mirror, haven't we? Where you go, oh, this all makes sense now. And you can kind of make peace with that pain and that suffering. And this is just my opinion, but this is a great story, but but I don't know that I need a lot of help in those situations. Like when I can look back and see God's hand, I don't know that I need a lot of extra help to kind of make peace with my pain and suffering. But here's the big question. What do you do when you're right in the midst of that pain and that suffering? And some of you, you're either, that's where you are right now, or you have someone that you care deeply about, and that's where they are right now, where there's no good that's happening out of the situation. I mean, it's just, it's all bad. I mean, and God, like, where is God's hand in all this? I mean, it's like, hello, God, I mean, anywhere? No, God is nowhere to be found. What do you do when nothing makes sense? I mean, it's just, you're in the midst of a dark storm. You're right in the midst of pain and suffering. What do you do in that situation? What does the Bible have to say? What might God have to say 
to us who are either there right now or we know people who are and we're trying to be helpful to them. Well, one of the things I love about the Bible is it just it's such a great resource for so many different things that we go through in this life. And um, one of my all-time favorite parts of the Bible that's a tremendous resource is um, it's this collection of prayers that we find in the Old Testament book of Psalms. There's 150 of these prayers that are inspired and they're, they're in the scriptures for us to utilize as a resource to help us when we go through different things in our lives. And the most common prayer that's in these Psalms, the number one type that's found in there is the prayer or the Psalm of lament. The lament is this crying out to God in the midst of pain and suffering. And I want us to take a look at one. There are tons and tons of these Psalms of Lament. We're going to look at one that is nice and short, so um, it's kind of easy to break down and see what's going on because there's a pattern in all of these Psalms of Lament. We're going to look at Psalm 13. It's only six verses long. And so you'll see other ones that are much longer. And basically, it's someone that's just kind of going on a rant. But there's basically the same structure in all of these laments. So Psalm 13, 1 through 4, this is how it starts. And uh, you'll see pretty quickly the, where this person is at who's writing this psalm. They say, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Some powerful, powerful words being used there. How long? How long? Will you forget me forever? Basically, God, where are you? This idea, this person is so despondent that they're actually saying, I'm going to sleep in death. I feel like I'm going to die. I am in the midst of my pain and my suffering. And there are some of you in this room, and it's no coincidence that you're here today because that's where you are. You're feeling this pain and this suffering, and God is nowhere to be found. Now, what is so powerful about how this prayer begins is that the person who's writing this prayer, they're right in the midst of this incredibly difficult time in their lives, this storm, and what they're doing is they are bringing it straight to God in prayer. They're not bottling it up. They're not venting about it to so-and-so and so-and-so, but they are going right to God, even to the point where they're, I just get this image in my mind, like shaking their fist at God, you know, this, how long, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything for me? Now, there's basically two different kind of ways that you can process pain and your frustration and your hurt and your anger. There's two different ways that we do this, and this plays out all the time in, in human relationships, okay? There's two types of people when it comes to dealing with pain and anger, all right? There's stewers and there's spewers, 
All right, those, those are really the only two categories, I think. Now, I'm a steward. Now, stewards, we need process time, all right? We need some time to kind of understand exactly what the heck is going on, and we, are, we tend to be people who don't like a lot of confrontation and a lot of drama, and so we, just, we need to kind of figure that stuff out. Now, the great benefit to a steward is that stewards tend to be peacemakers. You're not really going to get into these huge escalating altercations. The downside... For, to stewards, is that you're constantly wondering, what the heck are they thinking? Just talk to me. What's happening? What's in your mind? All right? So those are the stewards. Now let's talk about the spewers for a second, which my lovely wife uh, it falls into that category. And you got to just love spewers. If you're a spewer out there, man, I mean, what's great about you is you are just, you're just all out there. You're an open book right? And, and the great benefit to a spewer is that we always know what you're thinking. <laughs> but the downside to you spewers is we always know what you're thinking. <laughs> and that's not always good. So here's, here's the bottom line. Whether you are a stewer or a spewer, when it comes to your relationship with God, you are always, always to be a spewer. Always. That's what these Psalms of Lament want to teach us right off the get-go. Now, for you stewers out there, fellow stewers like me, you like to let things simmer and stew for a while and before you kind of figure it out, okay? One of the things about us, and I just say this because I am one, is that sometimes that stew just stews for too long. You know what I'm saying? And we get, it manifests itself in other ways. We, we get disconnected. We can get passive-aggressive. And this isn't about my therapy session, but I'm just saying, okay, that, that this is the kind of stuff that can happen to us. So stewers, okay, it's an admirable thing if you're trying not to have things escalate when it comes to human relationships. But when it comes to God, let me just encourage you with something, okay? You can bring this to God. You can just right off the top. You don't even have to process. You just go right to God, okay? Because let me tell you something about God. God is not insecure, okay? I, I promise you, God is not insecure. In fact, God already knows what you're thinking. It's crazy to wrap your mind around that, but it's true. God already knows. So when you just sit there and stew on it, and think about this, stewers, okay? Think about this for a second. When you're stewing on something, you're not really ready to say, and you don't really know how you say it, there's a divide that, that happens between you and that other person that you really need to say something to, but you haven't figured out how to do it. You don't want that in your relationship with God. And, and for many of us, th this can actually form a huge divide. We feel completely disconnected from God. And I'm telling you, stewards, you've got to become a spewer in this aspect of your life and your relationship with God. Now, for those of you spewers out there, feel free to just spew away when it comes to your relationship with God. And some of you still might be going, well, I'm comfortable doing that with other people, but I don't know. That seems pretty disrespectful to God. I mean, it is actually like almighty, holy God after all. I'm not sure I'm going to say that. That's not appropriate. Well, let me just tell you this. Read through some of the Psalms. There's a reason that they're in the Bible. It's actually God's way of giving us permission. It's God saying, it's okay. Come on. 
come to me, tell me. Tell me how frustrated you are. Okay? Again, God knows it anyway. You have clear permission from God. Bring it to God. Because that's one of the first things that can happen if you don't, is you create this disconnect between you and God, and it leads us nowhere good at all. So, this is what we see in Psalm 13. We see this person just crying out to God, really shaking their fist at God, um, questioning God and, and what's going on. And they're basically saying, look, you better answer me or I'm, it's going to be all over for me. I, I'm going to die. My enemies are going to overcome me. And then let's see what happens in these final two verses of this psalm. So the psalmist writes, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but I almost feel like, is this the same person that's talking, like who just said the first four verses of this prayer? It almost seems like either this is a different person or this person is like schizophrenic or something. Like, they're just crying out to God, like, you're nowhere, how long, this is terrible, and then all of a sudden but I trust, but I trust in your love. I'm like, how does that, how does that work? What, what the heck does that look like? Now, let's, let's unpack this for a minute just so we see what's going on because one of the things that this person is not saying is they are not saying, but I trust that you're gonna change all of my circumstances, okay? They're, they're not saying that. But I trust that everything is going to work out just the way that I'm hoping and praying that it would. They're not saying that. They are instead saying, but I trust in your love. I trust in your goodness. They really are focused here on the character of God. They're not focused, focused on their circumstances, but they're focused on the character of God. And um, I got to tell you, this, this, is, this is a great thing. I really, really struggle with this part. I've gotten pretty good as a steward in my kind of human relationships. I've gotten pretty good at being a spewer. I've been spewing now with God for a while, and I'm pretty good at, at getting that out on the table and, and really just having it out with God, and God knows exactly what I'm feeling and, and, and thinking and all that kind of stuff. But I really struggle if I'm going to just totally be frank with you guys. I, this, this second part is really tough. And some of you probably can relate to what I'm about to say because um, you know that when you are in the midst of it, when you are in the midst of a storm, when you're, when you're suffering or when someone close to you is suffering and you've been praying, but I mean, there's just, there's nothing. You don't see anything good. There's, there's God's hand. Like for me, actually, when, I, when I'm in that place, I, I get, and this might freak some of you out. This might be the last Sunday you ever come to this church, or if you hear I'm speaking, you're never going to come again, okay? Because I got to tell you that in those moments, I doubt so badly that I first, first of all start by, by, in my mind, I'm going, God, are you even there? Do you even exist? I doubt the very existence of God, despite all my study and despite past experiences for myself. And, um, but then I kind of go from this place of like, God, this is so bad. I mean, are you even there? I, I go next to, do you even care? I mean, do you really care? I, I know that I've prayed, but you know, do you really care about me? Are you really going to do anything? And um, I think that that's why 
these Psalms of Lament, which pretty much always go the same way. It's like we spew and then we review, okay? It's like you just get it all out on the table with God, make your plea, cry out to God, but then ultimately it's reviewing who God is, the character of God, God's love, God's goodness. If God has done things in your life, it's trying to to focus and realize that even though you're in the storm and you can't see it, that there's a bigger story that's at work here. And I think that that why this is so important, the, the way all of these psalms of lament end with this kind of this declaration of who God is, is because in the midst of all the bad, in the midst of our pain and our suffering, and when everything is going badly, it's just a reminder for us that God is good. And I think we need that. We really do. That God is good to us. God loves us. And God is with us. And I got to tell you, that whole notion of God being with us, that's massive. So one of the things that, that um, we know from Christianity, and basically this, this is to me one of the most powerful things about, about the Christian faith, is that the belief is this. God wasn't just satisfied to kind of be this amorphous spirit that kind of lingers somewhere or maybe we encounter somehow through some sort of way, but God decided that he was going to take on human flesh and walk this life in the person of Jesus Christ. That God would actually know what it's like to experience being human, both fully human and fully God at the same time. And so the the amazing encouragement about our God is that he actually knows our suffering. He knows our pain. So even in the midst of it, I know some of you right now in this room, that's where you are. You're in tremendous pain. Nothing makes sense. God doesn't seem to be anywhere around. You're not getting any relief for what's happening in your life. And what I can tell you is, and I know this is, this is not necessarily good news, and I'm sorry if you've ever heard someone stand up and just basically be like, well, if you just have enough faith, you know, God is just gonna do this. And the reality is, that's not biblical. It's just not. Jesus actually said, he said, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. Jesus guaranteed that we would have problems, we would have pain, we would have suffering. He didn't say, so I'm going to deliver every, you know, every circumstance in this life. It's all going to get taken care of. Jesus did not say that. He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so here's the encouragement for me when I'm just in a, in a bad place, in a bad way, and I'm questioning the very existence of God. I look back to Jesus and I say, Jesus, you know what it's like to suffer You know what it's like to walk this life. You know when no one else gets it, when no one else understands exactly what I'm going going through, and even I don't understand what I'm going through. Jesus, you do. And the amazing thing about our God, okay, he doesn't necessarily promise to change our circumstances, but he does promise to never leave us nor forsake us. He actually walks with us through the valleys, and through the storms of this life. And sometimes that's not a great consolation when all we want is the answer, all we want is the problem solved. I get it, okay? And yes, please pray and pray and plead that God would deliver. 
okay? But ultimately, it's about God being with us, knowing our pain, helping us to just put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other. And the other thing that I love about Jesus is talking about how he's overcome the world. Ultimately, what we know is this, this life isn't all there is, okay? It's not. It's not all there is. There's a bigger story. There's a bigger picture. And what we do know, it's promised, is that one day there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. God will make everything perfect. And that really is the comfort in all this. So what I'm going to uh, have us do now is I'm going to invite our music team to, uh, to come back out. And um, I want us to just uh, take a moment and to realize that this may be a middle school auditorium, but let me tell you something. This is a sanctuary, okay? This is a sanctuary. And what I want us to do for the next few minutes is just while everyone's remaining seated, is just to take a few moments and I want us to, to create a little sacred space here, okay? We're gonna bring the lights down and um, while just in your seat, just between you and God, I want just to give you an opportunity to, um, to do some business with God. You may be here right now and you're in the midst of a storm and you realize that all your prayers and everything that you've tried to do, none of it's working. None of it seems to be helping. And I would just challenge you to, to say, you know, maybe, maybe what you really need it's just a little touch of God's presence. Just a little reminder that you're not alone, that God is with you, that God is walking with you through what you're going through. If you're here, um, it doesn't take much brainstorming and thinking to think about someone in your life who is going through something really difficult right now, somebody that you care about. And I just would encourage you, or if you don't have anybody, I'd encourage you just to, to while this song is playing, just to go ahead and, and pray for those in this room who really are going through it. And there's nothing like sensing the presence of God. And that's what we're going to pray for. And this song, we sang it uh, just before uh, this, this message began. Really, the, the essence of this song is, you know what, God, you're my God. I don't fully understand you. You're a mystery. There's plenty of things I'm not going to get on this side of heaven. But you know what? I've run out of other options and you're kind of my last resort. And I tell you, God's not a bad last resort, okay? It's not. So um, it's basically just about having trust and faith because God's still God. Even though we're in the storm, um, you know, God can still move. And for some of you, maybe you're just praying, help me believe the words to the song because I'm not in a place where I can. So we're gonna pray and uh, we're just gonna stay seated and uh, just allow the, uh, these, these words to wash over us. Um, I am actually going to ask that our prayer team would go over to the prayer wall, though, and you guys can go ahead now if you'd like. And uh, if you just feel like you'd like to have prayer um, for anything at all, or you want to have them pray for somebody else or whatever, uh, they will be over there as well. Sometimes we, we can't give words to what, we, what we're praying for. So our prayer team will be right over here. But we're going to just... Uh, just um, pray now and uh, just see if, uh, see if God may meet with us right here in this room. If you bow your heads. Lord God, um, 
There is tremendous pain and suffering in this world. You told us that we would have trouble. Lord, and we're trying to take heart. We either are going through it ourselves or we know people very close to us that are in a, in a bad place right now. And God, we just need to experience you. We need your presence, God, to sustain us and help us. We got no answers right now. Nothing about the situation is good. We can't see you moving. Lord, so just encourage us, strengthen us with your presence here. You truly are our God. Help to just remind us of that. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.